Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right, well, good morning, Coastal. Uh, PC kind of gave you the lowdown on who I am, but kind of what got me started in doing this, there was a time before uh, Ryan was on staff, there was a time before Scott was on staff, there was a time before Chris Jones was on staff, and there was a time when Chris, Pastor Chris, PC, needed a break. And so I filled in and uh, been doing that occasionally since then. And uh, it's kind of become a tradition with summer reading uh, that I have uh, been filling in uh, for one of those along the way. I wanted to point out this morning, you notice the red lanyard that they talk about. This is it. Um, it, Maybe from where you're at, you can't see it. I hope you can. But uh, the red lanyard and uh, our prayer team over here to the side, they're wearing those as well. Just want to thank them for being there, faithfully serving, and those are the people who are here to pray for you on Sunday morning. We want to encourage you to do that. And uh, if you uh, have a heart for prayer yourself and you would enjoy praying with other people, I'd love for you to fill that out on your Connect card and let us know that or talk to me after the service, and we would love to get you uh, to be a part of our team of praying for others as well. So... um, So anyway, um, just want to begin, as we talk this morning, we're doing the book that's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. And I recognize that it is a very distracting world. And I know even as we come on Sunday morning, there are a lot of distractions, and I know maybe more so than ever on Sunday mornings. And I know if you're at home online, particularly, it can be distracting. I know when we did church at home, it was easy to run and do other things. And so I know it's easy to pull out your phone and check your email and your text and respond and all of those things. And so I just want to begin. We want to not only talk about prayer today, but we're going to do prayer today and several times throughout the service. But I want to begin with that now and we want to pray and I want to pray about those distractions. So think about, about, just for a minute, what are the things that might distract you this morning that would keep you from hearing and responding to God this morning? So just take a moment, think about those things, and I'm going to pray over them. God, I know there's a whole host of things that came to our mind. I know for many of us, we came with a lot of distractions. We're having a hard time even focusing now. I know some of us are thinking about the week ahead. Some of us are thinking about difficult things that are going on in our lives. There are just the the relationships, the, the challenges of work and life and health. And God, whatever those things are, Lord, we give them to you. And God, in simple childlike faith, we trust that you are going to speak to our hearts this morning. We invite you to speak to us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, the book is A Praying Life by Paul Miller, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. You've been hearing each week, we're not really doing a book report, but I do want to highlight that I'm going to use a couple significant themes uh, from this book today. Uh, Two things in particular that he talks about, cynicism and the impact of cynicism on prayer in our culture today, and also then childlike prayer, which you already heard me pray about. We want to really have an attitude of praying like a child. Now, I I recognize that this book, and somebody already commented about this this morning, if you read on in this book, it really digs into kind of techniques and advanced prayer tools, and I feel like if we did a book report, it'd be a little bit like teaching calculus to a group of kindergartners and master's level students all at the same time. And so uh, if if you feel like you're one of those master's level students in prayer, I encourage you to read the book and move forward and learn more on your own. But for today, we're going to stay more on the kindergartner level, and we're going to, we're going to do it at a basic level and, and learn together. 
So as we start, I have a simple question, and you can respond with a, raising your hand. And here's the question, does prayer work? Do you believe prayer works? All right, well, that's what I thought I'd get. You know, I think most of us would say prayer works, right? But I'll tell you what, you don't have to raise your hand this time, but I'm gonna up the ante a little bit by adding one more word in there. Does prayer always work? Hmm. Uh, I heard somebody say yes. That's a, that's a, little, a little tricky. It throws us a little bit. I, there was a survey that I saw that said out of the people who were surveyed, of the people who believed that prayer worked, one out of four of them said that prayer always works and that God always answers their prayers. Now, I tell you, I heard somebody say yes, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a little confused. I'm not sure quite who those people are <laughs> because I'm not one of them. I mean, does prayer work? Yes, I believe prayer works. And at, but at a feeling level, I'm not always so sure that prayer works. Now, maybe at an intellectual level, I can say, oh yeah, I know God hears me and God answers, even if no is his answer. And maybe that's what those people meant. But if always getting the things that I'm asking for and always getting the things that I'm praying for, if that's the criteria for does prayer work, then I think we can make a pretty strong case that prayer does not work. Hmm. So what do we do with that? You see, I think we've boiled prayer down to kind of making a deal with God to get what we want. That's kind of what we think prayer is. But is that all it is? Is prayer just making a deal with God? You see, there's got to be more to prayer than just getting answers. And, and if so, so, then what is it that we're missing about prayer? In the book, Where Prayer Becomes Real, Kyle Strobel, this was another book that I found that I found to be a great resource for, for today. But he made this quote here. He says, what do you expect that God will do when you pray? Sometime in my life, I picked up an idea that, about prayer that no one told me explicitly. I'm not sure I would have been able to recognize it was true of me, even if someone had pointed it out. I just didn't have the eyes to see it. I expected that prayer was a relationship of exchange where I would do what I was supposed to do and God would do what he was supposed to do. If I held up my end of the bargain, I was expecting God to uphold his. Prayer was confusing because God didn't meet the expectations I had projected onto him. Now, see, I think this is probably true of most of us when it comes to prayer. Our prayer usually just exists of request for God because we've forgotten that prayer isn't really supposed to be just about getting our needs met. It's supposed to be about a conversation and a relationship with God. Today, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer as a model. But I, I know when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, probably all of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you from a different background might know it more as our Father. But most of us are familiar with that prayer. But we tend to jump to the give me part, don't we? Give us our, today our daily bread. We, we like that part. I think our American version, we could reduce it down to one sentence. And this is the GAV version, okay? This is the Galen's American version. Hey, God, give us what we want and protect us from bad stuff. Amen. That's kind of what we boil it down to, isn't it? But I think we have a confused view about our relationship with God. Our understanding of God tends to be that we think of God as up there as the big puppet master in the sky. And God has these strings that hang down and control us. You know, the marionette kind of puppet. And so God moves us around to do whatever he expects us to do. And we're kind of at his control. And if God turns his attention to somebody else, we're, we're suddenly in trouble. But what's really interesting to me is that when it comes to prayer, I think we totally turn it all around. 
And suddenly, we want to be the puppet master. And we want the controls of the strings. And we suddenly see God is down here at our command. And we're saying, okay, God, heal me. God, touch me. God, provide for me. God, meet my needs. God, meet my family's needs. And all of that, God, work in our world. And we want to control and manipulate God. But I think we've got it confused because God's understanding of prayer is much more like this. God comes down and he reaches down and he grabs that, that little puppet and he lifts it up in his hand and God engages in a face-to-face relationship with us as he breathes life into us. You see, and I'm not sure we're comfortable with that concept of a relationship with God, that closeness and that intimacy of God face-to-face with us. And so we we have to really rethink then how we approach prayer if that's the way that God wants to relate to us. We must relearn how to pray. You see, the disciples, they noticed that when Jesus prayed, it was different than when they prayed. He didn't try to get attention or manipulate God. He prayed face-to-face in that kind of relationship with God that we just talked about. So at some point, they said to him, and it must have been embarrassing for them to do so, but they, they, had, they had prayed all their life, But suddenly they decided they needed to learn how to pray. So they said, Jesus, show us how to pray. Now, we don't really know exactly how the disciples prayed prior to this. But we do know and we see how Jesus addresses prayer at different times in the culture of the day, in the religious culture. He addressed things such as loud and public and showy and repetitive prayers. And that seemed to be what was the religious norm of the day. So as Jesus addressed those kind of things and the disciples said, Jesus, show us how to pray. It's interesting, he didn't start by showing them how to pray. He started by showing them how not to pray. That's where he starts. So in Matthew chapter six, where we're gonna be spending our time today, there's this passage that leads up prior to the part we know as the Lord's Prayer or our Father. And I'd like to read it today in a way that maybe you'll understand and hear in a new kind of way. It's in the message version of the Bible. And what the message version is, is just simply a version that puts it in the words that are easiest for us to maybe understand. Maybe sometimes a little too simplistic, but I think it helps us to connect with it in a different way. So listen as I read this this morning. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Well, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. And with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Isn't that nice? What I want us to do is hear things in a different way today. Maybe things that have been very familiar, but hear them in a different way. We want to reframe even the word prayer this morning. This is not necessarily about the rituals and the routines, the habits that you've learned maybe in church or as a child in prayer. Today, we're talking about an invitation to have a conversation with the creator of the universe, the one and only God, the one who saved us from sin, the one whom angels revere and they sing around his throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
That God wants to have a conversation. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he cares about whatever you care about, the things that are important to you, whether big or small, he wants to engage in conversation about those things. Now, the name we give for this conversation is prayer, but I think the word prayer has kind of lost its sense of all. Because it should be mind-boggling to us that God wants to have a relationship with us. Now, if this is true, if the creator wants to have a conversation with us, then why don't we engage in this conversation more? Obviously, there are many reasons, and we talked about the distractions already. But one of the big reasons, and one of the things he talks about in this book that really resonated with me is the idea of the role of cynicism in our culture today. You see, cynicism undermines our belief in prayer. Now, I have to think that the disciples, as they went to Jesus and talked about prayer, and they saw him praying, they saw the way other people prayed, they probably were a little cynical of what they saw other people doing in their day as well. But in contrast to that, they saw Jesus praying. He prayed in faith, believing that God would act in this relationship and conversation that he had with him. James 1, verse 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That verse always catches me when I read that. Believe and not doubt when you pray. But if we have a, a cynical world that we live in and doubt and cynicism are so closely related, how can a cynical person pray without doubt? And how can we not be cynical in this disillusioned world that we live in? I know we all have unanswered prayers in our life. We have the hurts and pains that we go through and we try to ignore those things, but maybe we sometimes feel like God ignores them as well. I'm sure we know people who've been good at praying in their lives, but maybe they weren't really good at living their lives. Maybe the Christian leaders who had scandals and got caught in scandals. My generation grew up in church, traditional church, and got kind of disillusioned with that. My children's generation has grown up in contemporary church and has gotten disillusioned with that. And as a result, we've kind of gotten to a point where we're cynical toward prayer and toward God. Now, if we want to understand the real impact of cynicism and its effect on us, we have to broaden our view, though, just from the church and our own experience to our culture in general. You see, we live in a world that's desperate for authenticity. So many fronts, well, all we've seen is duplicity. And so we start to ask, is God this way? If everything else is this way, is God that way? He says he cares, but he doesn't show it by answering my prayers. And then this cynicism pushes us then toward this internal battle within us about a belief in God. Do I believe in a God who cares or just a godless reality where he doesn't exist or he just doesn't care about me? Now, let me give you a silly illustration from my life. Uh, and I say silly because I tend to be maybe more real and honest than I should. And some of you will appreciate that. And others of you will think I'm just downright unspiritual. So sorry. But um, you, you see, I got my glasses out here. And I, I really don't like to wear them. And one, one reason I don't like to wear them is I got a big scratch on them here a couple weeks ago. Um, and um, after I got that scratch, it was just, you know, it's just downright frustrating, you know? And so, so I wanted to see about getting them fixed and I'm, I'm a little stingy, so I wanted to do it as cheaply as I could. I thought, well, maybe I can get one lens replaced. No, uh, two lens replaced. Well, 
no, your prescription's over a year old. You got to go get another exam, you know? And just all the steps were frustrating to me. And on top of that, some of you heard I, I was having back and neck problems and I just got an injection in my neck this week. And, and all the appointments that went with that, just being passed from one thing to another and another and another. And I just got frustrated with it. My wife and I were talking one day and, and as we were talking about it and I was complaining about all these things, she said, Galen, don't get cynical. Well, too late. <laughs> I am cynical. I, I, I'm cynical of the healthcare system. I'm cynical of the insurance industry. I'm cynical of our political system, the news media. I'm cynical of much of religion today. I'm cynical of life in general. And chances are, you are too. Because it's the age we live in. We live in a cynical age where it seems like nothing is trustworthy. And so we tend to lose faith in everything. And if nothing else is trustworthy, then maybe God isn't either. And if God is not trustworthy, then what's the point in prayer? You see, eventually every one of us come face to face with some dark reality in life, some difficulty in this broken world that affects us. And it pushes us to the edges of faith. And we have to determine, are we going to walk away from God and faith and the church and prayer? Or are we going to move toward God and lean on him and trust in him to get us through the dark times of life? You see, this problem with cynicism is huge in our world. But here's the thing. The answer to it is not huge. Well, it is. But it's so simple. The solution is simply to have childlike trust, childlike faith, and childlike humility. And you see, each one of those is a choice. But here's the thing. Anytime we have to choose faith, it's always simple but hard. <laughs> Anytime you choose faith, it's hard to take this choice of, of choosing faith. It's hard to do that, but yet it's simple. And throughout scripture, we see that God looks for humility. He looks for the simple answers, the, the simple things in life, the people who are broken and humble before God and before others. And so we see where Jesus, he uses this and he takes it and he turns it into the terminology of us becoming like a little child. Now I told you, that I want to pray different times throughout the service. And this is one of those times. I just want you to think about your own heart, where maybe your heart has gotten hard or cynical. And I want to pray over you for that, because I know we live in a cynical age and a broken world. So let's pray. God, I pray this morning we confess that we are cynical. We've become hard-hearted. Lord, the world has torn at us and sometimes it's felt more than, <clears throat> more than we can bear. So God, I pray that you would give us the childlike faith to believe in you, to believe that you care. That whatever it is right now that we're cynical about, you care about it specifically. And you want to involve yourselves as we invite you in through childlike faith. Restore to us the faith of a child. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we need to do is learn to pray like a child. You know, the parables that Jesus talks about prayer often talk about adults who act like children. Not necessarily childish, demanding and throwing a fit, but childlike. Childlike in the sense that there's a parable about a, a man who is persistent or a woman who's persistent with a judge. Then another one where a person is going to a friend and begging for, for food in the middle of the night. Now, those are very childlike, aren't they? Being persistent and begging. 
But they all have this in common. All of his stories have this in common. They have a character who is desperately dependent on others for their needs, and they're not too proud to ask for help. That's the way children are, right? You know, but whenever you hear Jesus starting to talk about his relationship with his heavenly father, Jesus begins to become very childlike as well. We hear him saying things like this, the son can do nothing of his own accord. I can do nothing on my own. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. The father who sent me has himself given me what to say and what to speak. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he's not already doing himself. Because he knows that he can't do life apart from his father. And so Jesus prays and he prays and he prays. And when you realize that you can't do life apart from your heavenly father, then you begin to pray and pray and pray. But you see, there's a shift that happened in our culture that has happened before we were ever born. And we don't even realize that it's impacted much more than we know in regards to cynicism. You see, our culture shifted the foundation from understanding that we are built on the foundation of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to the goodness of humanity and our ability to take care of our own needs. As a result, we have faith in ourselves more than we have faith in God and faith in each other and faith in humanity. But Jesus never lived under that kind of illusion that he had faith in himself. He was dependent upon his heavenly father. And so he had constant communication with his father. He knew he was dependent on him, even to the point where he declared that he was desperate for him in the garden in the night before he was going to die. He knew what was coming ahead of him and he prayed prayers of desperation, knowing that the end was near. We need to learn to pray prayers of desperation. You know, I think honestly, one of the reasons, the biggest reasons we don't pray is because we don't really feel a need to. We, we feel pretty much in control a lot of the time in life. <laughs> until, until, until something comes that knocks us down. Something reveals that we're not really in control. I'm a hospice chaplain and I see that all the time. If it doesn't hit you before, it will hit you at the end of life. Something will come along that will make you start to pray desperately and realizing that things are out of your control. And these types of prayers, these are the types of prayers that are closest to the type of prayer that God desires from us. Because they rep recognize or represent us recognizing that we are dependent on God and then humbly crying out to him for help. You see, the most basic form of prayer is simply one word, help. <laughs> and maybe it's just a whisper. Maybe it's not a yell. Maybe it's just help, God. See, I know the hard times you guys go through. I've seen the prayer requests every Monday morning as they come through. I've prayed with you up here and around the building. I've seen your stories on Facebook. And yet there are many of you I don't know anything about. And I know you're no different than the others. That we all have those kind of challenges that go on in our life. And so there are times when we have this need to cry out desperately to God as well. But what desperation does is it moves us away from the show and the pomp and the circumstance that Jesus talked about to authenticity in prayer. And what Jesus loves and what God desires from us is for us to be authentic and real before him. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke that talks about authenticity in prayer. It says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus went on to say, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, what Jesus saw in this sinner was his humility. And that's what God is always looking for is this, this humility, not this kind of puffed up sense that I've got it together. We tend to look at the prayers, the people who pray, maybe in a small group or church or wherever you hear people pray, the ones who pray loud and long and confidently, thinking that's the way we should pray. But prayer is not a skill that's learned. I've done it all my life, but I have to boil it down to remember that it's simply a conversation that flows out of our heart to our heavenly father. You see, if we sit down to pray, and, and I say if, because to be honest with you, for most of us as Christians, we don't really intentionally sit down to pray. We just kind of include it in our daily activities and feel like we've done our duty. But, but one of the reasons I think that we don't sit down to pray is because we kind of have a, an idea that God has a list of what he wants us to do and how he wants us to pray. So God wants us to come over here and when we pray, I need to pray over here for Coastal and I pray, need to pray for Pastor Chris and I need to pray for the people in New Orleans and the people in Afghanistan and, and all the people in need and I need to do those things. Meanwhile, while I'm over here praying this, the stress of my day is pulling me over here and I go back over here to pray and, and while I'm over here praying, this other thought comes into my mind and I go back over here and that's not engaging prayer when we're trying to pray in that way. And that's not authentic prayer. So what I want to challenge us to do is use those thoughts over here to be the, the springboard for praying for these things over here. Start with those things. Engage God about those things. If, you, if you're cynical about pr whether prayer works, then tell God about it. Talk to him about it. Let that be your starting point for prayer. If the busyness of your schedule is distracting you from praying for these things, then tell God about that. If a lustful thought comes into your mind, just go to God and say, God, for whatever reason, right now this lustful thought seems more interesting than talking to the God of the universe. If a bitter, angry thought towards somebody comes into your mind, take the thought and the person to God. If physical pain, financial stress, emotional stress, whatever those things are, let those be the beginning point of your prayer. They're not the stopping point, but let them be the beginning point that leads you into honest relationship with God. Now in the prayer that Jesus gave us, there are tools that help us to do this. And what I want us to see as we finish things up today is we want to look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And I want us to see it as a model prayer as opposed to being a memorized prayer that we recite. So let's look at that model prayer today, the model prayer. You see, after Jesus taught them how not to pray, then he taught them how to pray. And I know we've learned it, we've recited it, we've said it many times, and I know that I've said it many times, I do it every day with my patience, but I don't often think about the words. And what I want us to do today is think about the ideas and the words and not just moving through it. So I want us to hear it today for a, the, maybe like it's the first time ever. And instead of us praying it all together out loud, I'm going to pray it and elaborate on each part of it. And I want you to engage with it emotionally about what is going on in your heart and your mind and your spirit as we pray.
So just bow your heads and let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, God, you are awesome and mighty. You are incredible. You are over and above every circumstance in our life. You are our creator. And yet, God, you choose to have a relationship with us. You come down to our level and engage with us. God, you are sufficient for every single need that we have, but yet you're personal enough to know about every need that we have. And you care. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, as we look at our world today, in our own personal lives and in our nation and in our world, it's obvious that your kingdom has not come in this world. God, we know that your kingdom is a kingdom where love rules and reigns. And yet, God, we see hatred and division and anger and bitterness and brokenness. And God, yet we, we know that we see the story of Jesus where Jesus says, the kingdom is among you. And God, you have called us to be representatives of your kingdom here on this earth. So God, let us bring your kingdom. But God, also, God, we pray that you will bring your kingdom because we know that God, until that day that you returns, it will not become reality here on earth. But God, let us live by the principles of your kingdom so that it can be seen and others can be drawn and pointed to you. Give us today our daily bread. God, give us our daily bread, the bread we need today. God, we don't really understand this as, as the people who heard it would have understood it. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness and getting manna for today, just enough for today. If they had got what they needed for tomorrow, it would waste. It would go to waste. So God, help us not to have so much that we forget our dependence on you. But God, help us not to have so little that we despair and give up on you. But God, just give us our daily bread, what we need for today. Meet our needs, God. And forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins. And God, every single time I go through this, the emotion hits me, God. Because, and God, help us to see what we're praying here. Because God, I've prayed this hundreds of times and not given it the thought that it needs and deserves. Give us, forgive us our, our sins as we. God, we're asking you to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And God, we acknowledge it's hard for us to forgive. God, there are so many people that have hurt us and we don't want to forgive them. But God, we want you to forgive us. So God, we can't forgive apart from your grace and your mercy and your strength. So God, give us what we need to be able to forgive today so that we can receive forgiveness from you. Empower us by your spirit. Help us not to walk from this place today with unforgiveness because we don't wanna walk from this place today not being forgiven by you, God. So God, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we acknowledge we are weak. We are broken people. God, we're so easily distracted. Lord, you have made us in your image, but you've made us to need you. 
And there are parts that, of our life that only you can fill. But yet, God, we look so many other places to try to fill that void. Lord, help us to look to you and you only. And God, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We acknowledge that there's an enemy who is out to kill and steal and destroy. And God, he's powerful, but you're more powerful. So deliver us, God. We need your deliverance from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.